are you up for something a little different today, dear pod squad? If you're wondering where the dulcet tones of Mr. Roberts have gone, fear not, they're on their way. For many podcast series creators, they have the wonderful joy and privilege of interviewing brilliant and sparkly guests, asking great questions and deep diving into meaty topics, many of which then create useful takeaways for us, their audiences. But have you ever wondered what it would be like to hear from them themselves? Well, I have, so I asked him. I have the privilege of knowing this next guest for the last few years and knowing him like I do, a man who is never one to self-promote, avoids all aspects of self-marketing and favours humility always, I wanted to shine a light on the rather incredible Tim Roberts, creator of the Break the Mould podcast. Now, what better way to end his first series than hearing from the man himself? But before we do that, let me tell you a little bit about him. Published author, award-winning speaker and renowned coach, authenticity is like air to Tim. Fueled by his family, friends, and a deep love of music, he's a loving father and husband, and he's a die-hard footy fan with a wicked sense of humour. So let's get stuck in. Welcome to Break the Mould, this time with Tim Roberts. How are you, my friend? I'm really good, thanks, Jules. Really good. I'm so happy to be doing this with you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you for asking. It's kind of weird when we shine the spotlight on you, isn't it? Yeah, I'm more nervous for this than it's doing any, probably <laughs> anything, good. actually. That's good. That informs us all as a pod squad listening, doesn't it? Of, of, you know, not that we want you sat there, you know, wriggling, but it's really, it's good that you're transparent about that. All right, let's crack on, my dear. I'm going to go through, for the benefit of our listeners, I'm going to go through all the questions that you very kindly shared with us all in this wonderful series you've put together. So let's kick off. What does being your true and authentic self mean to you, Tim? I'm... I'm going to start by answering that question in terms of what it enables you. So to me, being yourself and yourself, it's confidence is what it means to me, uh, particularly from my own experience. And I also think this is something that we either don't realise or we don't talk about it or we're maybe discouraged to talk about it. The confidence is or comes from when you choose to be your true authentic self, you focus much more on your attitudes and behaviours. So I know for me previously, my confidence was on its arse because all I was thinking about was, can I answer that question that my boss is going to ask me? Can I prove to my peers that my team are good enough? Can I talk technically when somebody starts talking about, I don't know, truck deliveries, sales figures, uh, pitching, whatever might have been the topic of conversation in the past? And, and I, would, I would absolutely be shitting myself going into meetings and worrying about it and, and almost like thinking about how do I come across that other person based on what I think of them. So they've got loads of technical knowledge, they've got loads of authority, they've got loads of power, and it just diminishes your confidence because you're constantly trying to fit a mould. So to me, it's confidence. When I, when I learned that, that actually it, it's all right to be yourself. And then as I looked into it more and more, developed it, I've realised it's not just all right, it's really important to be yourselves. That gave me the confidence to know that even if I have to say I don't know to a question or I get it wrong or somebody else has more perceived authority or somebody achieves a better sales figure, my confidence came from that's okay. 
as long as I behave in a way that when I walk away from that meeting, I feel happy, I'm not going to lose sleep over it, and that the attitudes that I've chosen are what I demonstrate. Because a lot of, for me, was I'd come away from the meetings beating myself up because I'd be like, oh, you, you ain't quiet there, you allowed that person to speak over you. Whereas when you flip it around to know this is how I behave, these are the attitudes, rather than doing that, I would own up and go, I don't know. Or I'd ask them a question, I'd listen to people, I'd show empathy, I'd show respect. And then you walk away from that meeting, even if you've had a bit of a kicking going, that's all right, I know what I've got to do next. I came away from there going, I behaved in the way I wanted to behave. So for me, it's confidence. And look, I'm sure we'll dig into it in terms of how you discover your authentic self and, and you know, obviously it comes with your values, your beliefs. But to me, in terms of what it means, it is confidence. It's that it's being comfortable in any environment because you focus on your behaviours and your attitudes rather than trying to live up to what you think other people want from you. Oh, that is gold and diamond. What a kickoff. There's so much in there. We'll come back on. You mentioned confidence a lot in your work, especially your writing and some of the work that you do with your great clients. Do you think that that has evolved in your lifetime? Because we're not born with confidence. You referenced that just then in your answer. How do you think we can evolve our confidence and that self-awareness you referenced that you've, how, how does that come? That's a brilliant way of putting it, Jules. Yeah, evolving your confidence. I think that's actually what we should be thinking about, isn't it? Rather than just be more confident, build your confidence. Actually, yeah, allow it to evolve. For me, definitely. Um, I, I think if I look back in my formative years, I would say I was confident when I was around people who I know trusted me and... I didn't feel like, oh, if I say something, you'll hold it against me. So my best mates would probably describe me as being confident even younger, but that's because they're my best mates. Throw me into a new job, throw me into a playing for a football team. It took time. And sometimes that confidence never came because early on in that experience, somebody broke my trust or somebody had a go at me or embarrassed me or you know all those things that you end up feeling in those formative years and yeah it's evolved I think a big evolution has has come from that that uh, that development of being my true authentic self because now I I I never used to think or say these words I would stop myself now I don't give a shit what some people think about me and, and, and I'm very confident in that and I don't mean that in an awful way or a dismissive or that person's not worthy that's based on, well, if you're going to patronise me, if you're only going to try to work with me for your own benefit, if you're going to try and nick my ideas, if you're going to yes. try and judge me because I have depression or because I look a particular way or because I'm a coach, I don't give a shit what you think about me. And I'm going to keep yes. doing what I'm doing. I'm going to keep behaving in the way that I know is aligned to what I stand for because the ones who I do give a shit about anything to me, people like you, my family, my friends, the clients I love working with, you know, many people who are engaged with on LinkedIn. That's enough for me, more than enough. And I know yes. years ago, when I didn't have that confidence, I was carrying that around, oh, what does that person think about? And I mustn't say that to Bob and I mustn't do that to them. And, you know, the reality is many people who challenge you in that way and might say things direct to you, actually being able to show them, I don't really give a shit what you think. I'll still turn up and do a good job. I'll still be myself. Tomorrow, I'll still build good relationships they respect that and and that, and that builds trust with them. So I, I found certainly that that's the big game changer from a confidence point of view. And that means I can say no to stuff. I don't, I no longer feel I have to go to every social event. 
I no longer feel like I have to dress in a particular way. I no longer feel like I have to agree with things. I can just say, no, nah, that's not for me, mate. You know, or yes. just say, no, I can't make it. I'm all right with that now. And I'm all right with certainly work down as well, where, I, you know, I, there's a sense of, yeah, I think you're using me to make you look good or, you know, you're asking me to do something yes. I don't really do. You know, I'm all yes. right with that now, whereas years ago, God knows what I ended up doing because I was terrified of what people thought of me. So, it, yeah, it, I think that's the confidence for me is it's all right that some people might not like me. They might not agree with my approach. I know I do it with a positive intent. I know I do it in the behaviours that aligns what I stand for. And I know you, everybody else who I care about, my wife, my best mates would say, yeah, Tim's a good lass. He's all right. And, and that's yes. enough for me. Yeah. You know? Well, my daughters have been the most important thing. As long as they think I'm all right. Yeah, they are well, good stakeholders. I love that, yes, <laughs> I love that you comment on that. It's funny, in your answers, when you talk about things, even in your book, it's very liberating. You talk about the liberation of removing the word should and judgment from things. And yeah. it happens to people at different times in their lives. And in your book, you, do, you reference a, a couple of things around trust and psychological safety. And we fully appreciate that not every organisation has created a culture for people to be that safe with themselves. And, and as you referenced with your great mates, you already have that social contract in place because you choose them, you select your friends, you know, your tribe, and you feel when you're amongst the same spots or stripes how you can be. What, I, what I'm loving hearing, I guess, builds on, on the next question I want to ask you is, we still in society identify moulds. And one of the things you talk about, uh, quite, quite a chunk of your book, is about the first part is identifying what your authentic self would actually be, having those dialogues with yourself. Not a lot of people afford that time to do that. Then you move on in your book to talk about understanding the moulds that are out there and whether you, how you feel about those and the roles of them. So I guess... What I want to know from you is, is what moulds have you seen others fitting into in the work that you've done? And kind of why do you think we still do that? Oh, how long have you got, Jules? <laughs> <laughs> Can we just clear our diaries now for the rest of yeah, the day? Yeah, two hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, do you know what? I'll, I'll use... There's a really recent example of this. Now, yes, they, they are infinite, those moulds, and they come from many different reasons. They come from... That the mold that the CEO sets or the mold that the culture of the organization sets, you know, and again, that's that's in the way that people dress. There's an organization I work with who I love to death. I'm not going to mention them, the uh, people director who I work with, we've had this conversation. I love them to death because they are very corporate by definition. What they do and how long they've been around for and who they work with, they are corporate. And the, the change in that, they really are evolving it. And one, one of the things that we talk about with that organisation is that there's like a uniform that isn't a uniform. So every man dresses the same way, every woman dresses the similar way. And a lot of that just comes from the culture of the organisation and that the original founder, it was always shirt, tie and suit. And that, that's OK, that's his choice. Mm -hmm. So it, now now we don't, they don't need ties now, but the, the suits, the, the, the chinos, the smart shirts are still sort of there. And what they're doing is, is being aware of that and then probably one of the reasons they, they get me in quite a lot is because their leaders are loving honest conversations and loving being able to break that mold and go, yeah, actually we do do this because we think that or we think we should do that. So there's those kind of molds that filter for organisations. There was a group I was working with just this week and a mold they were fitting into is thinking they had to reply to emails and messages at this ridiculous velocity and at any time. 
And that's because it's a small organization, growing business. Their CEO is, is really influential, yeah. really positive. And for him, it, it's his life. So he will send a message at 12 o'clock on a Saturday because he Way chooses on. to do that. And, and yeah. what that's doing is making other people fit them all and thinking, well, I have to reply to him straight away. Yeah. And, and and they were really open in saying, even sat in here in this coaching session, saying, our minds are on how many emails have I got? Who sent me an email? If I don't reply, somebody else might reply. So there's those kind of molds that can be seen as insignificant, yet influence massively how you think and feel about work. Because what they identified is the mold that they're creating because of that is when people start. I played this back thing because they said it to me a lot the first time I was with them. Is they, they ended up saying things like, we work really fast here, we change things really quickly. And saying that's a great quality. What are you actually saying to people who join the organisation, though? Oh, if I don't do things quickly enough, I'm not doing it well enough. And then the danger is you focus on let's do it quickly rather than do it rightly. So there's, there's those kind of moulds. Um, and, and I think why is a lot of what they were saying around, we end up thinking I should dress like this. I think that this is what this other person wants from me. And it, yeah. yeah, it is that. It's just purely that that thoughts and feelings that come with the situations that we're in. So if I walk into this office and I've decided to wear jeans and a T-shirt today and everyone else is in chinos and a smart shirt, suddenly I might feel uncomfortable and everybody else is dressing like that, so I now have to fit that mould. I send an email and I get 10 replies really quickly. Suddenly I've now got to reply really quickly. And it's just that your heart and mind are always searching to help you to make fit in because... Yeah. Being different is a risk. So it is, it's, for me, it's, it's, it's simply down to that real basic way that we function as a human, that I want to feel comfortable. I don't want to take a, real, a risk. I want reward. So it makes us go into comfort zone. And, you know, one of the most challenging ones is, is the mold that the leaders set for their team. So if the leader slags people off, they shout at people, that instantly makes the teams think that that's all right. So to me, they're still there. A lot of them are done unintentionally. A lot of them are done mm. with complete oblivion uh, oblivion to it. And yet, unfortunately, there are still some leaders out there who try to create them on purpose and they will say to people, you must behave like this, you mustn't do that. You know, even you must lie about that to a customer. So some are over the vast majority of covert and it just comes from the way we think and feel about the world because we want to feel comfortable, we want to feel happy. So if that means, well, I can walk through the door and don't feel like anybody looks at me because I've got jeans on, I won't wear jeans then. Or if everybody replies yes. to emails and works quickly, I have to work quickly. And yeah, it's that ability to be able to break that by choosing how to respond to the thoughts and feelings that come with it. 100% love it. And actually one of the things that is a, a running theme through all your work, whether it's with some of the big clients that you work with um, or some of the work we've done together is you often talk about not being responsible for the feelings of others. The only thing you can work on is how you feel about something. And it's it's, it's littered throughout your book. Um, and many of your guests on this series have actually talked about authenticity, comes from that confidence you mentioned before and comes from learning to be comfortable not being responsible for others' emotions. And I think the next generation, you and myself, are, you know, our parents, we've got the next generation living and breathing in our homes. We can see them evolving. And what they're going to want out of leaders and cultures is going to be all the more authentic and transparent. Why do you think transparency is so important to leaders right now? And how does it help them in their organisation? I, th I think the importance of it is because it's one of these things that we want as a human being. 
yet we don't talk about it or it's easier to not do it. I think there's a mould that we fit into of, I can't tell everybody the truth because they won't like it or be afraid of it. And well, you know, if you if your business is losing profit and you want to do something about it, the best thing to do is tell everybody in the business that you're losing profit. Ask them why they think that is. Ask them what they think they could do about it. In six months' time, you still have to make people, you might still have to make people redundant. Well, it's not come as a surprise then, has it? And it's much better to do that than allow those people to think everything's all right. We're demanding a pay rise. And the response they get is, HR need to see you tomorrow because we're having a consultation. What? Nobody's told me. Sorry. The, the transparency piece, it, it aligns to the business information, the strategy, just being honest with people because it's what we want. You know, how many times in our lives have we had conversations? My 10-year-old daughter was telling me this about one of her best friends in the week where you have that kind of conversation where there's been a bit of an atmosphere or a bit of an edge and, you know, you might be getting pissed off or upset with people or you might be feeling like, oh, Jules has fell out of me, Jules isn't doing this. And then you have the conversation in whatever way that comes about. Somebody might have to lose the temper. Somebody might have to call it out. It might just naturally happen. I mean, as you get older, it tends to happen after about five pints. But <laughs> that moment when somebody tells you what's been going on for them and you get that response why didn't you just tell me? Yes. Yes. If you'd have told 100%. me that two weeks ago, I wouldn't have done that. If you'd have told me that a month ago, I would have said, sorry. Actually, you telling me that now, I can help you to understand that's not what I intended. And that's and, and, I, and I did that because I thought this of you. And it's that ability to go, why don't we have the upfront conversations to try and avoid people saying, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> or why didn't you ask yes. even? You know, and it's looking at, you know, I'd, I'd encourage leaders listening to this. The, the first step is do it from a practical point of view. Just think about, yeah, what are the things I can be completely transparent about? And you've got to protect confidentiality. Of course, yeah. We're not saying just tell everybody everything about everybody. Just what are the things I can be totally transparent about? And then I think the second part is the transparency around the emotions, around how we're thinking and feeling. And leaders, you know, not being afraid. I mean, one again, as a group talking about this recently, one of the worst things that leaders do is they communicate a, a, a business decision. Let's just use that term, and they validate it by going, "Yeah, Jules wants us to do this. William has decided. Tim has said this. It's got no integrity behind it whatsoever. It's got no encouragement right. for people to say anything about it. Why not?" In the first instance, go back and ask Jules some questions. Go back to Tim and go, I think you're wrong, mate. Can you just help me to understand this a bit more? <laughs> Jules and Tim will decide how they respond to you, but then choose how you communicate that to your team. Now, that isn't about going back and going, I really disagree with this, and I think Jules is this, but we're going to do it anyway. It's having that integrity to be honest and say, look, maybe this isn't the decision we wanted, guys. We know that this is going to cause us some challenges. Let's be honest now. What do you think of it? What what's your what's your gut reaction? What are you actually feeling when I've just shared with you this is the decision that's been made? And be transparent with it, share that this it makes me worry for you as a team because I think we're now going to face more problems. And just just be honest about it, not not in a negative, blame, critical way. Just face up to it. Just just have that honest conversation with that transparency of saying some sometimes that that's the decision that's been made. But just talk, how, how are we feeling about this? Because that, that helps you then. There's nothing worse than sharing that business decision, 
thinking it's all right, leaving the room and then everybody's slagging you off behind your back or, you know, they all go for a cigarette break or a vape break one of these days or they go in the canteen or whatever or they get straight on a team's call and they talk about it without the leader. Well, the, yes. the leader's opportunity with transparency is to be in that conversation and it's all right that your team might go, it's a bit shit. <laughs> well, yes, there's a little bit there of that's life. Sometimes life can be a bit shit. So, okay, how do we respond to this? So, and I think the importance comes from it builds trust. It, it encourages people to put discretionary effort in. It shows that as a human being, as a leader, you're willing to have that conversation and you're not going to be one of the knobheads who just says, Tim said this, go and do it. Yes. You know, the, the, there's, there's the emotional connection there that mm. I, I I can allow you to tell me you think this is a bit shit or I can allow you to tell me mm. that you think this is going to cause us this, these problems I might respond in a way that you don't agree with and we might have to agree to disagree yeah, it's, it's that ability that because the importance for a leader then is if you, when you see me as somebody who's willing to be transparent when you've got a problem you feel safe yeah you'll come and tell me Absolutely. rather than hiding it you know rather than thinking everything's all right or thinking I might tell you off actually no I'll come and tell Tim and I'll let him help me and you're right about the the bit around we're not responsible for other people's emotions it's when when we I'll be really honest in terms of that when I realized that it helped me to be even more empathetic it helped me to show more empathy because then I wasn't feeling guilty I wasn't feeling like I've got because a big problem for leaders is when, when we feel responsible for the people's emotions, we try and fix it for them and we start telling yes. them what to do. And somebody did it the other week when somebody shared that they, they have a bit of a lack of self-belief and instantly somebody's response was, you shouldn't feel like that. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wow. Let's just Why are we telling you? Yeah. And just having to understand, actually, you know, why, why did you feel you needed to say that? Well, she's not got self-belief, so I don't want to feel bad. And it was great because it prompted a conversation and helps us to realise that the best thing we can do is show empathy and ask them some questions, ask them, so what, what can I do to help you to build that self-belief? What's actually telling you that? Because my view is you're really good at your job. I love working with you. You're really reliable. You're really trustworthy. It's really interesting to me that you see it that way. What what can we do to help with that? Rather than me saying, you shouldn't feel like that. Like, well, tell me something I don't know. <laughs> you know, so it, it is that, that bit of... Yeah. yeah, bless you. I think that's um that's something that you've talked a lot about. Um, some examples that you've you've personally been aggrieved by, and and on a number of other parts of this series, when you're talking to guests, you reference you know where you've come across dickheads in your life, or where you felt like you've been a dickhead in a moment, and it's taken you know to to step out and look back and go that wasn't my finest hour. You talk about transparency a lot, a lot in your work and some of the research you've done before you you penned your very wonderful book. Talk to me a little bit about other things that people listening to this can go. I'm just going to check in whether that was a dickhead moment. Like, how can we stop our listeners being a dickhead? Yeah. uh, Yeah, I do love talking about dickheads. (laughs) Um, I always feel like I have to say, you know, remind people that's not it's not. I'm not dismissing people. For me, a dickhead is the the, the leader in particular with no, or they demonstrate no self-awareness in the behaviours that irritate others. Sorry. Yeah. You know, I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm from a certain part of the UK, so dickhead is a term that we use a lot. I mean, could be a lot worse if we were from Glasgow, for example. It'd be a very different word. So, so yeah, I, yes, I've definitely been a dickhead in the past. Um, 
I, so much of this for me is we can, and then a few of the guests have said this, we can all be a dickhead at times, but we, we have things going on in our lives. We might be tired, you know, we, we might just be feeling the pressure at home or everything that's negative in the news, the, the pressure of the job, you know, it, many, many things can determine emotions that trigger thoughts and feelings that then make us demonstrate attitudes and behaviours that we come across as a dickhead. You know, and that's okay. We can learn from that as long as you're not a dickhead every day and, and we don't, it then doesn't move into narcissism and bullying and all those things that come with that or micromanagement. To me, a, a really big part of this, yes, it's about self-awareness. Of course it is. Self-awareness is our only superpower as a human being. But I don't, I don't just mean self-awareness in the moment. To me, such a big part of what stopped me from being a dickhead is the, the bigger picture. So that ability to self-coach on a regular basis. So for me, when I started out, it was every day in the morning, driving to work or having a swim or meditating or whatever it was, or going into a meeting or at the end of the day, I, I, for 12 months, I literally every day sat and wrote, because I'm such a geek, I wrote notes in a spreadsheet, uh, answering questions about how I come across today, how do I, how did I feel, what did I do well? So I, I, I made that commitment and did it to, to build that habit that now I can do like that. And it's that ability to just be able to check in and go, how do I want to come across today? What do I want these people to say about me as a result of today? And I think it's really easy for people to dismiss it as pink and fluffy, yet when when we do that, it plants it in your subconscious mind. So when you might, a really classic example for me would be when I'm facilitating team coaching and when somebody says something that I disagree with, my initial reaction is, is to go back at them, is to say, no, you're wrong. You know, it's, it's to be really challenging and be like, I'm the leadership expert and that's not how you do those things. I've seen a lot of people do that, by the way. Um, yeah, I know for me, the only reason I, I can choose a response that isn't that and doesn't make me the dickhead in the room and doesn't make me patronise people and doesn't make me belittle them in front of other people is because I've just asked myself, how do I want to come across with this group? What do I know about them? It's the first time I'm working with them. What do I want them to be able to say? How do I want them to feel about after this? So when, when I want to go back at somebody, actually my subconscious mind goes, no, hang on. If you want them to be able to say this about you, that's not the way that you want to respond to that. So then I can respond with a question. Or it might be, a, right, brilliant, thank you for sharing that. We're going to come back to that. It might be, a, right, okay, yeah, brilliant point. That. What do other people think? And, and create a conversation rather than it being my opinion. And I know for me, when I was a dickhead in the past, so much of it came from, I just went with my opinion. I, I The classic listen to respond, Jules is doing this. I think she should do that. I think she should do that. And it's that ability to just take that time. This is so random, right? So I went for a swim this morning uh, and uh, went in the jacuzzi. So me and three other blokes in a jacuzzi in a hotel leisure club. There's a mental oh, image nobody image. needs. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, I love it. And I sort of know these guys, you know, I know one of the name and the other ones, it's like, all right, mate, you know, kind of thing, because you see it's direct. Anyway, I, they they came in as I was already sat in there and they, they carried on the conversation. Within, I don't know, 10 minutes or however long that jacuzzi's on for, so it, it's, I should call this a spa pool, shouldn't it? But where I'm from, <laughs> it's a jacuzzi. Water with bubbles in it, it's a jacuzzi. So they carried on the conversation, and within 10 minutes, each of them said a sentence that started with something like, my manager always says this to me. Oh, my boss is a right tosser. 
I keep getting this off my boss. So they clearly they were talking about work. As far as I know, they don't work together. And I, and I, I joined in the conversation a little bit. And then as, as I was kind of having a shower and driving up, I was thinking, wow, yeah. So if you went and asked those three different people's managers, what would you want your team to say about you? There's no way they would say those it things that those that. three blokes said in the jacuzzi this morning. And if you think... And what's really oh, so tragic that they're not then telling or finding the ways to tell their boss something like that, because imagine a situation where you ask the boss that and they say that is entirely misaligned with what I hoped to achieve in them. Oh. Yeah. But it's another if you do tell the boss, they'd be like, why have you not told me this before? Yes, yes. It's, it's, it's just that bit. And like I said, I, I, I assume they were all going to work today, maybe working from home or whatever. But then I think, well, if you're willing to tell a relative stranger that about your boss, yeah. Yeah. when you go on that Teams call now with your boss, you, you might be a bit defensive, you might be a bit uh, submissive, you might be a little uh, disengaged. And it's just that ability, you know, I think about those three different managers, whoever they are, wherever they are in the world, I think, when you, when you take that time to just say, you know, what would I want my team to say about me? You're not going to say, I want them to think I'm negative, I piss people off, you know, except they think I'm a dickhead. You know, so <laughs> aligning the behaviour. Because even if you just think, you know what, if they could just sit in that jacuzzi and go, you know what, my boss is all right. Yes. They let me get Happy on with day. it. They hold me accountable. They give me feedback. I, there's a little bit that you could do differently, but he's all right, actually, or she's all right. You know, it, it's not about my boss is a visionary and they are inspirational and they are this. It's just just thinking you'd much rather say they're all right rather than some of the things they were saying about them. So it it's that level of self-awareness to be proactive in it. So then in the moment, your behaviours are much more aligned to what you stand for. And, and, and conversely with that, that means when you need to be assertive, you will be assertive. When you need to give that feedback, you'll give it because... Though the answer to those questions around what don't people say about me, how do I want to come across, will tell you, well, I, I want to hold people account and, and I want to be fair. So I love Jules to bits and we got on really well. If Jules does the same thing that Jeff did yesterday, that Jeff's not my favourite, and I told Jeff, I need to tell Jules. It, Consistency, it creates absolutely. that fairness of it. So, so yeah, it, unfortunately, there are dickheads everywhere. Um, I, I think the key, you know, when you're dealing with them is, is don't... Don't allow your judgment of them to, to reflect on you. Allow that their behaviour to reflect on them and, and you interact with them in the way that you would with everybody else. And even if that means you have to sit in a meeting and ask them some questions that you don't like the answers, make sure you come across that way because it's very, very easy for dickheads to make other people fit a mould. You know, and it, it's Absolutely. that bit. I say to leaders a lot, don't make other people's problems your problems behave in absolutely. a way that you want to behave absolutely i love that and and that golden nugget there self-awareness is the greatest human superpower that is there you heard it here first tim roberts i love it i completely agree with you and actually one of the differentiating things in the learning space that we you know all of us that work in this environment enjoy is capturing these little light bulb moments one that you have always said to my team is keep smiling, keep being you. It's like your sign off. It's part of your brand equity. And I love it. And you'll say to people, you have to start with you. And what you've just talked about there very concretely is looking inward. So tell us why it's so important to you personally that it have to start with you. Oh, where do I go with that? 
I, I think you know, to be honest, the instinctive question, which a lot of other guests have talked about this, you're all you've got. You know, you are the only thing on earth you can be accountable for. And the more you start with that, I think you said from a leadership point of view, then you role model what you want from others. You know, if, if you, Kirsty Matt talks about, doesn't she, about you, you get the behaviours you ignore. So I, I think that would be the first part for me is you are all you've got. So be accountable for you. The other big part for me with this is it, it's this bit that doesn't get talked about enough, particularly in organisations, because it takes a brave organisation to say, I just want people to be themselves. Actually, that'll get us better performance and productivity and engagement um, because they're frightened that it might be rebellious and all these kind of things. And probably not enough messages around that in leadership development neither because it's all about this but you should adapt this style you should follow this person you should do what this person did and yeah obviously we can learn so much from what other people have done yet that's only valuable if you think well what does that mean to me so okay i've learned what this person did at google i've learned what michael jordan did at the chicago bulls i've i've, I've read every simon sinek book and all these other people we could talk about it's actually been able to go yeah what does that actually mean to me then so how can i best use that with my team because if we just take this from over here and think i can just stick it in here it doesn't always work that way in fact it rarely works um, so to me, it's about being able to challenge yourself and go, yeah, what, what does this mean to me? How can we use that as a team? How can I demonstrate that? What's the value in it? There's a bit of, my coach uses the term practical strategist. So being brave, and this is the bit that people don't talk about enough, is being brave enough to go, okay, right, so I see this person doing that. How does that help me? What could I do with that? And it it will definitely go back to that point I said right, we're getting around the confidence piece. When you, so do you know, um, I, I'll use an example of myself. So I'll be really open with this and really vulnerable with this. And, and you and I were talking a little bit about this off air. So um, I've had a bit of a crap couple of weeks. Not, not first world problems. I've had a couple of rejections from clients. I've travelled the length and breadth of the country, which tires you out. After that travel, there's some challenging moments in the days that, you know, part of being a coach and just other shit going on, you know, a little bit of like uh, daughter's A fever was really bad. Just just shit, you know, and, then, and obviously the world's full of shit. Yeah. So I, uh, from a mental health point of view, when I have those weeks, it's quite easy to go back into depression. It triggers anxiety, it triggers stress. And these last couple of weeks, I've had quite a lot of that, a lot of worry, a lot of like, you know, am I ever going to get any work ever again? Am I ever going to do this? Which is like completely not true. And the reality is very different to that. Yet your thoughts and feelings trigger that. So for me, years ago, 10 years ago, definitely, I'd probably even say five years ago, when, when I didn't really truly subscribe to it, always starts with you, that would win. And I would then, you know, stay in bed. I'd get irritable. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd have a... You know, I'd, I'd, I'd probably drink. You know, I'd, I'd take it out on my wife. Uh, I'd, I'd withdraw myself. I might go into work and be in a bad mood. And, you know, if my wife asks me, nothing's up, mate, it's fine. Don't worry about it. You know, and, and try and, like, cover it up. So pushing it away from me and, yes. and looking at it from a point of view of it's all my fault and then at the right time blaming others, you know, being a miserable sod around me, uh, my kids and stuff like that. The, the difference for me in these last two weeks is whilst... The, the negative thoughts and feelings are still intense and they're still there. 
because this belief of it always starts with you has grown and grown over the last five or 10 years to use the timescale there, I'm much better able to respond to it. I'm much better able to stop and go, Tim, you know this is only a moment in time. You know that these things have just happened at the same time. You've been here before. You know, my wife came home last night. I won't bore you with the details, but typical parenting stuff about who's picking the kids up. Shopping was supposed to get a proper, proper first world problem this time, but shopping was supposed to get delivered. We got a phone call saying we can't because the driver's ill, so you've got to go and pick it up from the store. And it's just that shit that you face as a parent, isn't it? That, right, you're doing this and I've got to do that. And then we've got to make tea. And we've got, you know, it's just stupid things, yet because stress. And as soon as my wife sort of opens the door and says, oh, we've got to do this, got to do that, I'm like, you know, stressed and intense with it. And I probably would have had a go at her on, probably would have slammed my laptop, I probably would have done a stupid throwing something across the room and having a go at her. And because of that really strong belief, it always starts with you, I can recognise that now and just go, it's all right, we'll sort it. Just give me 10 minutes and we'll sort it. And that's what we did. And nobody oh, else to have a falling out, nobody else to have an argument. I, I went to Sainsbury's and had a really good laugh with the bloke who brought the order out, actually. So it actually turned out to be quite a decent Thank 10 you. minutes of my time. So it, it's that. And I, hope, I hope I've explained that well enough, but I, I think that's the big thing. I, and I, I guess for me, I can only really talk about myself because it, it, there's no point me, a bit like I said before, there's no point me talking about other famous examples of that. It, it, it always starts with you. So to me, that belief growing and building that awareness, behaving from a point of view of a map of the world, choosing to be myself, what's and all, and just choosing to tell the world, this is who I am, this is how I work, this is what I believe in, and having integrity to, to align with that and actually be consistent in, yeah, Tim says he believes in this and his behaviours back it up. It grows that belief that even in those hard moments, and yes, those problems are first world problems, the way I would describe yet yeah, they are still problems. And they trigger yes. emotions, they trigger thoughts and feelings. And, you know, if you think about that for a leader, if a leader's going into work feeling like that, it's really easy to take it out of the team. It's really easy to run a dog shit meeting. It's really easy to yeah. cancel somebody's one-to-one. And it's that ability to go, yes. no, it always starts with me. So if I've got those emotions yes. and thoughts and feelings, I have to choose to respond to that because if I don't, makes it even worse next week when I'm in a good mood and Jules is now pissed off at me and I'm thinking, what have I done? I don't get it. What's wrong with Jules? And it it hampers the relationship because now Jules won't tell me she's pissed off because I cancelled the one-to-one. I've forgotten about the bad mood I was in last week, so I think Jules should be all right with me. It's that ability to know whatever's going on for me, I have to choose how I respond to those thoughts and feelings. And it it is, to me, it's that it always starts with you with like last night, I don't want my wife or kids to go, oh, daddy's having a bad time at work again, so he's taking it out on us. I, I've been there. I don't I don't want that for myself. And I definitely don't want it for them. So sometimes you just have to suck it up and go, we'll sort it. It's all right. You know, they go and uh, then I listen to a bit of music and, you know, you, you chill out and stuff like that. So yeah, it, yeah. I think it's that for me as a leader going into the workplace. You know, even if your boss is putting you under pressure, it always starts with you. It's not your team, it's your boss. So choose how yes. to what feedback to give to your boss and then choose how to respond to it to lead the team in the way you want to lead. Even if that means you have to be open and going, oh, we're under a bit of shit here, guys. I'm getting a kick in. I ain't going to come and kick you. Can we just talk about what can we do in the next month 
so that we show how hard we're working. We actually demonstrate that we're working well because other people's perception is they think they should give us a kick in. So rather than taking it out on people, it always starts for you to go, no, this is what I want to happen. This is how I need to behave to make that happen. I love it. I love it. And thank you so much for sharing that. That's that's brutally honest and wonderful and transparent as ever. And the authenticity we, you know, I said at the very beginning, it's like air for you. Um, and I'm I'm certain your listeners will feel the same way. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you talk a lot about it starts with you and you talk a lot in when you're operating, whether it's your speech or you're doing these, these group coaching um, mechanisms, you go through models that help people form. Essentially, you choose how you feel, which is, is quite unique and takes a huge amount, as you very said at the very, the very beginning of this confidence and courage to do. Anyone who's listening to what you've just shared with us and gone, yeah, I, you know, first world problem jokes aside, they're our reality. I've had a really crap couple of months and I'm struggling as a leader really to find my mojo. I can identify with myself that I'm, I'm grumpy or I think I know the answers, but I just can't find my spark anymore. And, I'm, and I hear it a lot at the moment. It's almost like a two years, three years on from the pandemic, people are finding a different mojo or rhythm. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give people, someone who like myself, yourself, we talk about this very openly together, needs to find the dynamism sometimes to just go, Oh, it's a lot. How do you click out of that? How do you personally click out of that? Yeah, the, the, there'd be two things to it. So I'm, I'm going to go, uh, I'll say practical, but probably typical thing. I, I think the first place to start is go and do something that you know is going to bring you joy. Even if you have to force yourself to do it, like, you know, whether that's going to the gym or going out for a pint with your mates tonight, um, Randomly, I'm playing golf after this. Me, golf. I'm just going because my, my best mate don't work Friday, so I'm like, just dick out on the golf course. Stop the podcast. I don't it. believe you. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm shit at golf. Don't get me wrong, but my best mate don't work Fridays and he plays golf. So I'm like, why wouldn't I dick about the golf course for two hours? So, delight. Pure delight. You know, or go and pick your kids up from school. That's go true. out for a meal tonight. You know, listen to music is clearly the one that I would always recommend. Read a book or, you know, watch the cricket. Just make sure you do something that you know brings you joy for even if it is actually i've not seen my best mate for three weeks i'm going to ring them and just spontaneously ask if they want to do something tomorrow or next weekend so force yourself to do that force yourself to do the things that you know work so meditation is really important to me and i know i have a better day when i do it and a not a, a not as good a day when i don't so it, choosing to do things like that and then the second part you used the words before, actually, Jules, is that looking inwards. So do – and you can combine the two here because if, if like me, you're obsessed with music, you you could put some music on and just clear your diary for half an hour or when you get home tomorrow or it's, it's actually sun shining in England at the moment, so get outside and do it or wherever you are in the world. Put a bit of music on and just, just think – you know, or, or, or just literally take an hour out or go for a walk and just just actually stop and actually ask yourself some quite challenging questions. You know, it, it definitely going back to what what's my purpose? So what's my purpose now? Because it could be different. It could be different from two years ago. It, it started with that. And then just just ask yourself, why, why, why do I feel a bit different now? Maybe what is it that's changed? Is it the the world is triggering other people's behaviours. Is it just that we're, we're finding it hard 
the the hybrid working bollocks you know they the um is that what's causing a problem because we're working in different ways because sometimes when we're struggling to find mojo we might go actually maybe this has run its course and maybe i i need to think about a different job in the organization or even something somewhere else or something massively different we don't know it because it that that uh switches off the autopilot because often when we're when we're trying to find that spark of that mojo autopilot tells us look for it in what you're doing now and just asking yourself those challenging questions first really subconsciously answers the questions is it about finding it in what i do now or is it about finding it somewhere else so then you've made an informed decision and then you're not got anything mm-hmm. nagging away at you you're not thinking oh is this right you've made an informed decision and of course whatever that decision is put your time and energy into that so if if that yeah. tells you no no my time and actually the spark yeah I, I probably need to look elsewhere then take action to start doing that and, and excite yourself with that and you know play about with that and think about what that is conversely you know when that answer is no no I, I love it where I am and I know there's a lot more opportunities I've just perhaps just lost a bit of spark then put all your time and energy into that maybe go and speak into your boss or your team. And telling them, look, I just want to have a really open conversation. I don't know about anyone else. I'm struggling for a bit of mojo at the moment, struggling for a bit of spark. What are we thinking? Maybe just doing like a couple of hours brainstorming and just encouraging others and go back and connect with that team, go back and connect maybe with some customers or other people in the organisation that you don't now see a lot. And, and ask yourself, what what what's next for me? You know, what is it I wonder next? how I wonder when you say going to invite others to talk about it, I wonder how many people then that creates psychological safety for that might come out of the woodwork and go, I'm feeling the same, dude. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I can't find my thing and I'm not entirely sure what it is. And I feel I ought to be happy because the world puts the shoulds on. I should feel this and I've got this lovely house and all this kind of rubbish. And yeah. actually quite often that breeds that safety, doesn't it? For others to go, yeah, I, well, then let's agree collectively maybe to bring the joy. Like what would joy yeah. for us all look like? You know. Yeah. I love I think that. It, I love that language. Joy. And I think I at the that. moment we're still in the hangover from COVID. So rightly, you know, when we were in the deepest, darkest depths of those lockdowns, 2020, 2021, you know, some of the things that people went through in that pandemic were just horrendous. We were all affected by it in different ways. The message consistently was always, it will get better. This will improve. And it has Yet, the way it improved caused consternation in society, pro-vaccine against vaccine, pro-lockdown against lockdown, politicians being, let's yeah. just say politicians. So that, that bit of it will get better, it will get better, I, I wonder if a lot of people are still waiting for that to happen and, and not recognise oh. it has happened. We don't have to yes. stay in our houses all the time. We can go to a pub, we can go to the cinema, we can go to the football, we can go to the office, you know. It, it, it's recognising that actually it has got better and then choosing to, to work with uh, definitely your team on how how do we now make this better for ourselves, you know. The, the group I was with this week, actually, there was a great conversation they had where there was a particular part of their business that get quite a lot of stick because people think unless they're really busy as an organisation, they think this part of the organisation have got nothing to do. So they, they challenge oh. them and, and they are constantly going, well, they, they can do that. Her team can do that. And what they oh. talked about was we can't change that perception 
because we we know we're doing work all of the time and we're probably more proactive than anybody because we plan for peak. So what they said was they turned it around and say what we can do is remind ourselves that we do a good job. So don't allow yes. everybody else's immature perception and blame game to seep into us. We can remind ourselves we're doing a good job. And, and there's a, there's, there was a lot of, I think, strength in that. The, the, the manager of that team, uh, only a young lady, to be honest, she was talking about, yeah, that's, that's what we need to do more of, because no one else can tell us that. And, and yeah. that, that builds that spark that when people might be having a go at us or might find it easy to kind of dump stuff on it. So that's, you know, what we need to do is work as a team to recognise ourselves and remind ourselves we are doing a good job. So it, it might just be stuff like that. I, I think the key in it all is is choosing the conversations you need to have to, to find that spark. And I think the beauty of it, I, I would suggest particularly doing it with your team. I, using the word again, proactive, I believe that helps to protect you from inertia uh, because, yes. you know, they, we all know them, the Neginellis, the Debbie Downers, the I've been here for 20 years and I'm not going to change. Oh, nice one, mate. It, it, actually, a lot of that comes from because nobody ever had that conversation with them. They've never worked yes. with a manager who has said, I think this is a bit shit. I've lost my motivation. So it, it's So it's okay that you feel like that talk about it and then from a leadership point of view the power is saying so what are we going to do about it then what what are we actually going to do because we all feel like this whether that's what are our options you know or, or okay we, we could talk differently we could set this up just just actually then saying use the awareness that's our feeling then right okay what we're going to do about it and, it and it helps people to remember that when they might be feeling a bit or oh, a bit fed up in 20 years actually i can go and talk to somebody about that i don't have to be the dickhead or be the person who is cynical or resistant to change it's all right to go I feel a bit crap at the moment maybe a bit bored or a bit disengaged okay. yeah okay. what do you think how are you feeling so so yeah a bit of practical bit and then the second bit is, is probably so practical is do something you know is going to bring joy and then the second bit is i guess soul searching could be a good way it's just challenging yourself finding that reflective space asking you know, where, where do I, what's my purpose right now? What, what is my purpose now? Then asking, where do I want to find that spark? And then wherever okay. that takes you, choosing the next conversations to have to, to lead on that. Cause you don't have to feel like that. You, you, you don't, that you always have a choice. It's sometimes Complete. soul searching allows you to go, do you know what? It's, I had a call with a guy this week, actually, and he's somebody who's brilliant. He's in a housing association, and they had to make a lot of changes. Uh, totally out of their control, not allowed to put rent or doesn't cover the budget, you know, all those things that are horrendous at the moment from a housing point of view. And he's somebody who's brilliant. He said, as soon as we went into it, and he's in HR, so as soon as we went into it, me and the team got together and said, this is probably going to be a bit shit, like, guys. What, what Let's do we just need face to into do? that right now. Yeah. 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 What do you need from me? And then he said, that's just built that emotional connection. So now we can reflect it and go, this is what we did really well. And he said, we had the conversations of during this time, how do we want to come across to the rest of the business? What do we want people to be able to say about us as a HR team when this process is finished? And it is that because he said, as soon as they got the message about, we're going to have to do restructures, we're going to have to do redones, said, you know, he just thinks because he's been through it before. And, you know, he works there because he wants to... Um, working something that has an impact on society wants to give back to the community exactly. it's very important to him not everybody else that 
yeah no but so that's it, lovely that he identifies that purpose alignment that's wonderful yeah and it's just it's it's the awareness and in, into the conversations really choosing who to have those conversations with because it, it could be your team it could be your husband or wife that tonight you just need to say make shit at work you know you know just this is just how I'm feeling what about you what what do you think because they might turn around and say yeah I've noticed so what, what are you going to do yes, about it? They, yes. they might. Now I've been waiting for you to talk about it. Now I feel free because there's an invitation yeah, for sure. Yeah. I love it. Why, and why, I, why didn't you tell I'm, me before? Yeah, yeah, yeah why have we waited? Yeah, exactly. Why have we got Friday? Exactly. Yeah. I love how you talk passionately about bringing joy and delight and, and you talk to me personally I mean offline we talk regularly about the things that really fuel us and energize us one of the things that I said in in the very intro to our listeners is your passion and love of music and I love that you've woven that into all of this first series which is to ask your guests a question that I would like to ask you and you're not allowed to spend 50 minutes on it so you've got to whittle it down to at least one I want you to share with the listeners if you can we can finish with some recommendations so what music whether it's an album or a tune for today what music do you want to share with your listeners Tim oh you know this is the hardest question don't you somebody needs to get me on desert island disc before i die seriously just to give me half an hour just to talk about it uh now i've, I've made quite a few uh, recommendations on my solo episodes as well so um do you know what i'm gonna go with go on. i'm gonna go with two <clears throat> um, yeah. so you're only as good as the last record you bought there you go so the last two records that arrived in the post uh, were Tom Grennan's new album, What Ifs and Maybes. Now, I love Tom Grennan. I mean, I ordered the signed version of it where you could put pre-order a message for him to uh, write a message to it. I was going to put two Phoebe and Lucy, my daughters. And then the other went, now, nah, just write MUFC OK on it. And he did. <laughs> now, I know a lot of people oh, listen to it. that. I'm like, why have you put MUFC on it? But... But yeah, I love him because he's just he's just a top guy. He's a great singer. His albums get better and better. We went to see him last Friday. Now we took the girls to the first concert to see him. So, yeah, Tom Grennan, What's Ifs and Maybes. Beautiful mix of... It's still, it's still a little bit of indie there, which I still think is cool. A lot, there's a lot of uplifting tunes on there and some beautiful ballads on there. So, yeah, go, on, go and check out Tom Grennan's latest album. And uh, Curtis Mayfield. So Curtis Mayfield's album called Curtis. Uh, really embarrassing ask of the year. So I've been listening to it for years. I hadn't listened to it for a bit. And then at Tom Gennon's gig last week, before he came on, he played Move On Up as his entrance song. And I was like, wow, I need to reconnect with this. And me being me, then spend £30 on a vinyl, the original, obviously. Uh, unbelievable album. It, it, it's The soul in it is unbelievable. It has got Move On Up, which is just... Come on, one of the greatest songs ever written. Um, and, and some hard-hitting lyrics in it. That the very, very opening to the first song, I find it hard because he uses some language that I really disagree with, yet it's set in the context and obviously everything else. And I also think it's one of the albums that when you listen to it, you go, yeah, we all thought hip-hop was this new thing in the 80s. Nah, soul singers were doing it in the 60s and 70s. So you can see, hear and feel all the influences coming through. Oh. So... Yeah, so that that's, yeah. that was on my turntable in the office yesterday. So yeah, with Tom Grennan's new album, What Is Maybes, and go back and listen to Curtis by Curtis Mayfield. 
Love it. What, oh, honestly, and the eclectic scale or the spectrum of your music love is something, it's just, I could just marry that part of your brain. It's wonderful. Thank you. All right. Oh, moving on to, it. it's, no, but it's, it's unapologetic. And I think it's one of the many facets of who you are and, and kind of your brand equity that we enjoy, those that, that have the privilege of working with you. All right. The second to last question then, my dear. Uh, you also ask us when we spend time with you on your wonderful podcast about book recommendations. Is there anything that you've read that you think, I've got to just share this because others should just delight in this joy. What would be some good reads for you? Um, I have thought about this a little bit. I have chosen a book. I've even got it with me. He says disappearing uh, off camera for Julius. Here's one he made earlier. Yeah, here's one yeah, he made earlier. Um, so... It's a bit weird for me at the moment with books because having written my first book and never stopped reading leadership and personal development books for all of the years leading up to that, mm. I've kind of given myself a bit of a year off leadership books. So I, I've now yeah. gone back and I'm reading a lot more biographies. I'm reading a lot of war books because I love World War II and obsessed with it. So there's a great author, uh, Max Grimwood. God, that's embarrassing if I've forgotten his name, isn't it? But uh, he writes some great novels. So I've kind of gone back to that, really. He's reading fiction. Um, so I definitely recommend anything by Max Grimwood. Um, the book I'm going to recommend today, though, that I dug out of my loft yesterday, um, is Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott. Now, because I've read, yeah, again, thousands of leadership books, there's a there's a kind of core of the, the, the set list, if you like. You know, they're always going to be on my playlist. This is definitely in there. I think Susan Scott is one of the world's best coaches, without any question. You read a book, you watch stuff over on YouTube and things like that. This really helps people to have the honest conversation. I love one of the things that I've totally bought into with what's in Susan Scott's book is the message for leaders. Just think questions, questions, questions. And and she, she plays lots of, little, uh, lots of examples out of the book and, that I, I really buy into that mantra because what she's saying to leaders there is if you go in and tell people what to do, you're removing accountability, you, you, you're reducing the chance of transparency. The more questions you ask, the more people are going to open up, the more people are going to want to listen to you because you listen to their answer to your questions. So, yeah, and it, it has, it has what you'd expect. It has, little, it has stories in there. It has a little kind of model that you can follow. But, yeah, definitely Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott. It's, I mean, I'm holding it up to you. I've even got like all the little stickies on to remember the pages that meant the Love most it. to okay. me. So, yeah, yeah. At Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott. Fantastic recommendation. I would definitely echo that one. That's on my absolute must list for many, many of the teams that I work with. Um, all right. So I said it was second to last question. So ultimate question. This is the end of series one. And of course, we're you're in the process at the moment of building series two to make sure that you're providing amazing content for the people that are in your tribe and our wider culture. What have been the kind of highlights for you, honestly, in making a podcast series? What's been best bits and what takeaways, if you will? Oh, um, the conversations themselves. So it, it's a bit weird doing a podcast because when you're doing the conversations, there's a lot of energy and you're getting ready to share them. And then once you've shared them, it's out there. So it's that weird bit of like... I mean, I get, I get stats off Apple and Spotify and people are listening to it, but, I, you know, ultimately you don't know. So it's a bit weird. So, yeah, the, the conversations. So, and the reason I say that is because 
I'd encourage people listening to this, not not encourage everybody to go off and get a podcast and then you could have, everybody else has one these days, but just go and have a conversation with somebody that you trust. You know, find somebody in the workplace to, you know, if you're doing like a leadership development program or something, don't don't just wait until you're back on Zoom or back in the workshop or whatever. Just find someone that you've got a connection with, that you trust, that you, yeah, okay, is a bit like-minded to you. Just go and have a conversation about, what do you think about this leadership stuff? What do you think about this? And actually, how do you do that with your team? So I'd really encourage people to just go and have some of those open conversations because that's all this is. Yeah, I open it. I ask a few questions, but as, as you know, how you've done so amazingly today, we allow it to go wherever we want. I think the learnings from it, I think a big one, there's, there's still so much to learn about yourselves. You know, I, I, I talk about self-awareness all the time. I'd say for it's the, it's the superpower. That never ends. That, that, the minute you think you've nailed self-awareness, good, congratulations, you're now one of the dickheads. Because you can't just do it for a day or a week or a year. You, you've got to keep it going. And I think that's what, from the interviews with the different guests, from your episode, from so many other brilliant guests, that's a big thing I've taken away is that self-awareness is not a defined moment. You know, you know, like might, you might develop to be better at presenting or develop at being Vision. better at chairing meetings. That self-awareness just goes on and on. And I think the importance of it has been highlighted in, in the conversations because the guests I've had are a mixture of people in organisations. There's been some other speakers, some other coaches there. You know, ultimately, the, the red thread that draws every guest together is we work with people. <laughs> you know, in whatever role that is. And I think that's the big thing is the importance of it. And I'd also say, um, a bit like that, what I said about going to have the conversation is just encouraging people to think about your own story because we, we don't do that enough. I, I'll be really honest. One of the reasons I love what I do, and, and, and uh, as a coach, you, you have to allow yourself these moments, is when you get a team together, and particularly if the day's been a little bit, I don't know why I'm here. Oh, what we're what we doing this? I've done all this before, mate. You know, there's the one or two people in the room who are a bit like, yeah, whatever. And then when you get into do the map of the world would be the, the, the best example for me because it's something I do a lot of work on. Is when you get them to do that and then they share it, is that moment when even though the cynic in the room or that, yeah, and they might go, I never knew that about you. And they might go, I never knew that about myself. Mm-hmm. And they'll say things like, I, I forgot that that's who I am. Yeah. And that's okay, because yes. we do. And it's, I, uh, oh, I think, yeah. yeah, oh, yeah, this is me. I'm not a job title. I'm not a cynic. Actually, I am Duncan or I am Dave or whatever it might be. So it, it, don't wait for the coach to turn up. Spend a bit of time doing that for yourself, because it's so important just really, really remembering who you are and being clear on your values and, thinking about your own story you know think about particularly as leaders what are the challenges you faced in your career what what who are the dickheads you've had to leave behind what are the things that people have said to you that you've railed against or you've been brave and going you know i used to work with this manager and he used to say this all the time and now i can say i disagree with that and i don't do that so what what have you learned to not do just just spend a bit of time just holding that mirror up and just actually remembering the value you bring and what you've done with those experiences. Because I think that's the power. And that's some of the feedback I've had from some of the listeners, to be honest, is it, is it when, when they're listening to the guest stories and their experiences, it's made them think about, oh, yeah, I, I've got that experience. And it, it's I can, I can grow my resilience because I have come through that in the past. And, you know, quite a lot of people, it often helps them to realise, yeah, you know, where, where I came from, 
uh, I wasn't supposed to be this director or I wasn't, I, I wasn't expected to do this job. And you have to remind yourself of that because nobody else will. Absolutely. Absolutely, Tim. A hundred percent. And I love that you even turn the magpie moment that you often talk about, what can I take from something, even in your own podcast series, is I just want to learn and glean stuff and share stuff. And and those connections, as you said, are just wonderful. It's what's uniquely human about us. It's really beautiful. It's been so wonderful talking to you, Tim. I could talk to you for five hours and I listeners know. don't like we spent two hours beforehand giggling. So, <laughs> oh dear. Um, it, permit me to just capture some of these wonderful nuggets that Tim shared with us today. I think we started on confidence and the role of confidence. And then Tim talked very openly about some of his own experiences. Um, and some of the little nuggets that I would share are self-awareness is the greatest human superpower. That's just like the greatest quote. I'm stealing that one. <laughs> Making sure that uh, we have those magpie moments that we translate into practical strategies so making time for conversation and how important that is if you really really think of yourself as a serious leader or you want to evolve your own leader um, if you're evolving I love the comments around bring the joy I mean we need to be really connected to our purpose and sometimes we lose our way and it's very easy when there's so much in life going on um, yes. and, and, and and all of the things that you do you give so much to the community that you're part of, Tim. And I would just finish this series one off by saying on behalf of all of us, an enormous thank you for being you. Keep smiling and keep being you. Thank you, Jules. Thank you for summarising that. That's beautiful. I was writing a bit of that down while you were talking. So, yeah, no, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate uh, you giving up your time to interview me. Uh, yeah, it's been I was really nervous at the start of it, uh, which is weird. But, yeah, I've really, really, really enjoyed it. So. That's, that's, I think I'm certain there's 20 minutes of bloopers in there. I would love for you to string together. That's something I've I've been wanting for. <laughs> to blooper reel. Of all those moments <laughs> where they go, oh, fuck. And then, yeah, and then bleep. Yeah. <laughs> do it. Do it. I'm so tempted. Or you go, by the way, you can't. Or you're on mute. There's got this, a couple of you're on mutes. Or, oh, oh shit, yeah. press record. Oh, I haven't even started oh, that. Oh, yeah, I did that. Again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we had, we had to re-record the entire episode because I, I copped up, basically, with the recording. So, yeah, uh, bless Adam, that was Adam Davies, who uh, said he, he was more than happy to do it. So, so yeah, it's been a blast. And, yeah, look, you're right. This is the end of Series 1. So, uh, in a moment when me and Jill say goodbye and then we'll play those little tunes that we do, and I will come back and ask some coaching questions and do the outro. And then, yeah, Series 2... Uh, is in production and that will run from September to the end of the year uh, so we will be back and then we'll see what 2024 brings for season three fantastic oh it's been a thank pleasure you, Jules. thank you keep smiling keep being you How was that for you? Really fucking weird for me. That really felt weird being interviewed on my own podcast. So I've got to say a really, really big thank you to Jules. What an absolute superstar she is. And I love the fact that she's challenged me to do that. She, she's invited me to be the guest on my own podcast. So uh, really hope you enjoyed it. 
Hope it was different to the other uh, episodes, I guess, hearing from me in terms of answering the questions that I ask all of my other guests and perhaps learning more about me, learning more about my view in terms of authentic leadership and everything else that we've talked about. Uh, so I'm not going to summarise um, because I just think that would be a bit weird and a bit repetitive for me to then summarise what I've already said. What I am going to do, though, is ask you some coaching questions. So uh, I've just got four coaching questions to ask you and of course at this point this is always about helping you to do something as a result of listening to this podcast so based on my interview again sounds really weird uh, I want to ask you to think about how can your authenticity grow your confidence perhaps think about particular situations particular things that you have to do in your role or just in your life where your confidence is not as high as you'd like it to be there's things that you feel nervous about even scared about think about how you can be more authentically you in those situations to really bring that confidence out maybe that's about going back and getting clear on who you are what you stand for and then aligning your attitudes and behaviors to that so in those situations you demonstrate those attitudes and behaviours regardless of what's going around you to really build your confidence. So think about how can your authenticity grow your confidence. Um, now, I want to ask you a couple of questions about questions. There was something that Jules really, I felt, drew out of me there in terms of talking about how leaders engage with people around them. So I want to ask you about uh, how do you need to, uh, sorry, start again, get the, get the wording right, Tim. The question is, what do you need to change about what you always ask others? So what questions are you asking, particularly, I guess, your team, your peers, and how could you change it? How could you maybe turn it into an open question? How could you just show people that you want a different answer? You want them to think about it differently. It's a really powerful thing to show to others, to demonstrate, really demonstrates to people that you're thinking about the conversations with them. And of course, when you ask them in a different way, particularly shifting it to a more open question, really helps that other person just intuitively pick up you're interested in them, you want to understand more. So what do you need to change about what you always ask? others uh, and then the next question about questions uh, how will you answer your own questions so think about the questions that you've got about yourself about your role about your career about who you are as a leader how you impact on others maybe thinking about you know if there's any any of you out there who engage in coaching conversations thinking about the questions you ask others how will you answer those? And maybe even, yeah, actually write them out and answer them. Take a bit of time to consciously practice that. So how will you answer your own questions? Uh, the final question I want to ask you about, um, and this directly links to everything I've shared, and in particular, obviously, Jules being the brilliant person that she is and getting me to be interviewed on this, is who can help you to tell your story? And what have you got to do to tell your story? We've all got a story. It might be about telling that to your kids. It might be about telling that to the people that you lead. It might be about engaging with your peers. Who can help you to tell your story? Who do you need to work with? Who do you need to spend some time with that can really help you to tell your story? Because your story is the most important one that you will ever tell. And what have you got to do to tell other people your story? Maybe thinking about how you can draw out from that, what you've learned from your experiences, maybe what mistakes you've made, maybe what shortcomings you've got and what, what you need help with. What is it you need to do to be able to tell your story and who can help you with that? And just like that, series one is over. Don't be sad it's over. Be glad it happened. 
If you haven't done so, do go back and listen to more of the episodes. Uh, pick out some of the guests that you want to hear more about. Um, once the podcast is out there, they're out there forever, so there's no deadline on this. Uh, go and engage in the coaching episodes that I've done, where it's my solo coaching episodes. Maybe pick out some of the things that you want help with as a leader. Uh, go and enjoy them. And excitingly, we're only a few weeks away from Series 2. So yes, Series 2 is in production. Interviews have already started. Got more brilliant guests. Uh, Series 2 is all guest episodes, and that'll start. The first one will be released in uh, early to mid-September, and it'll run through to the end of the year, maybe even into early January next year. Just depends how many people I I interview, to be perfectly honest. Um, So Series 2 will pick up where Series 1 has left off, still with the key themes, still getting real people as as guests, asking them around that being their true authentic self. Yeah, the dickhead question will still be in there. And we're mixing it up a little bit. So there's a new feature that's going to be in Series 2 that I'm really excited about. And that's asking our guests to share their advice on what must a leader always do. What must a leader sometimes do and what must a leader never do? And already there's some really practical advice and great personal stories and experiences being shared on that. So uh, I'd love you to uh, tune in to Series 2. I I really appreciate anybody who's listening to this. You know, I've said this before, there's millions of podcasts out there. So I really, truly am grateful and appreciate that you're choosing me to listen to, uh, either from a host and, and obviously our guests, who are the most important people in the podcast, are my solo episodes. So thank you so much. Much love. Uh, I'll see you back here for series two. Remember, it always starts with you. Keep smiling, keep being you.